Welcome to season six of the Black Heels and Tractor Wheels podcast brought to you by us in Real Women New Zealand. This season on the podcast, we are interviewing the OGs, the badass ladies of the agricultural world, the ones who, in my case, you might see at a conference, get all nervous and flustered, you might embarrass yourself in front of them because they're that amazing. The theme of this season is the big stuff. The juicy topics, like how they got into leadership positions, what it means to be a CEO, how you add value around a board table, and has the agricultural industry actually changed? Does it even like females? All these things and more this season, and these ladies do not hold back. Look, we would love to hear from you, and even more, we would love for you to sign up as a member of Rural Women New Zealand. So check us out on our socials. Give us a Google, hit the join button and help us make more of a difference for rural women across New Zealand. The, I guess the first of the step, the, the founding question here is, what should we know about you that has made you or shaped who you are today? What's what's a bit of your background? The biggest thing that's shaped me is being a West Coaster. I'm, I'm proud of being a West Coaster. Um, and although I haven't lived there for more decades than I care to remember, um, it's still actually what I think is the foundation of who I am because it, it shaped my affinity with agriculture. Um, it shaped the way that I think about things in terms of, I think, being relatable. Um, and it's just that grounding. I mean, to me, I come from the West Coast. I'm proud of it. But it does mean you never forget um, you know, where you come from, that small town syndrome um, piece, and that doesn't matter whether you're in a big city or you have what's perceived as being a big job or whatever, actually. Um, I'm a dairy farmer's daughter from the West Coast. That's it. That's such a great um, point that you make around the grounding and, and uh, I guess, having that affinity with others from all walks and shapes of life. It comes in really handy, obviously. Um, and in terms of, so, your career highlights, if you just want to give us a quick snapshot, really, of, of where you started. So we grew up on the West Coast. First job right through to where you are today. Sure. I'll make it a potted history. Um, first job um, was an accidental banker. I was a bank teller. Um, and that was uh, – I really needed a job um, because otherwise I was going to have to go back home and work on the farm. And unemployment was really high when I left school and university fees had just been introduced and I actually wanted to be an Air Force pilot. And that particular year, the government shut down pilot training as well. So I couldn't join the Air Force and be a pilot. So I needed to get a job and I needed to get one quickly. And I thought banking sounds really good. They gave you a uniform. Um, it was a nice clean job. So it was better than milking cows. And um, that was where I ended up, which was actually great because I learned all sorts of things about um how people manage their finances or don't manage their finances. Um, you know, some of those basics in life that I just learned through banking, which was great. Uh, also, obviously, dealing with people and the general public. Um, and, and so from that point of view, it was a really good introduction to the workforce. Um, until we got robbed, that really then changed my view of, um, of banking. <laughs> um, and I decided that actually being so public facing wasn't such a good idea and moved more into um, management roles and 
more um, analytical roles and in particular that was where I first started dealing with farmers from a banking perspective which um, which was just wonderful it blended a whole lot of things that I enjoyed about working um, tied in really well with obviously my how I'd grown up and and the people that I'd associated with there so I've worked my way through a number of um, you know banking roles um, found out what I enjoyed and and really found out that I liked working with the primary industries in particular and then, like most people, eventually, although a little bit later than most, decided I wanted to go overseas. So, so heading overseas was really out into the big wide world and was really fortunate, never thought that this would happen, that ended up working for an agricultural bank in the middle of London, which was with Rabobank. Um, and that was like everything just sort of happened then. It was, that was great and a, a fortunate series of events that exposed me to post-farm gate uh, business commodity trading in particular, um, international finance, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things that are, are frowned upon a little bit in the banking world today that that's sort of gone out of the vernacular, things like structured finance and leveraged finance and, and all these transactions that are not... Um, not really done these days anymore so so that was really good but it was from there that I realized the analytical side was really what I enjoyed um, as well as the people aspect and the opportunity to come back to New Zealand um, sort of in a similar role to what you have now Emma that's <laughs> um, evolved a lot in the last um, 15 years or so or almost 20 years but um, but that was really my happy place in terms of enabled me to have a lot of flexibility a lot of autonomy engaging from one end of the value chain to the other um, while also having my children. So that that was um, 10 years that um, a career advisor would say, don't do 10 years in the same job. Um, I didn't think it was the same job because it wasn't. It, it evolved so much over that period of time and grew so much that it, it wasn't the same role. Um, but I didn't want to give up something I enjoyed doing so much just for any role. And the opportunity to then move into the commercial side of the business and, and as general manager of country banking was blending all of those things and more. But wait, there's more, you know, managing a profit and loss and, and managing the commercial side of the business and leading the commercial side of the business was, was great. Um, but you reach an age and stage of career where um, you get pigeonholed potentially as a banker for life and um and I realised that that was a very real danger for me. So branching out, um, you know, from banking and, and never would have thought I'd end up in manufacturing. But um, but again, it blended a number of things that I was looking for in terms of the role I now have at Scalar Up, where I can run an international business from a New Zealand um, home base of manufacturing and and some key brands here in New Zealand as um, as a a great blend of a whole lot of things and and been a very steep learning curve for me but but one that I've enjoyed a lot. I'm really interested if you don't mind sharing a little bit with us about these kind of the things that you've been able to take forward into your new role at Scalar Up and how they compare and what's different to what you were doing in your role as country manager at Rabobank because you're right in that it's kind of a similar industry but you're actually doing similar things so I'm, I'm interested in those transferable skills and kind of what you need to be successful in that new role mm, yeah communication and relating to people is, is fundamental um, and from that point of view understanding those differences is, is key um, I mean bankers and and particularly the relationship bankers at, at Rabobank um, have different uh, ways of working and, and different needs from 
for example, people who work in the factory here making very good products, you know, every day. But actually, they still need to understand why they're doing it, why it's important, um, you know, what what can be improved upon. Those things are all common and, and similar. So it's just that relatability and communication. And I'd say the other key critical thing um, from my perspective between the two roles has been that understanding of the agricultural value chain, particularly right back to the farmer and, and actually how how farmers make decisions, they're business people, um, but they do have a different set of considerations when they're making decisions. Whether animals, people, you know, the list is very long for farmers, um, but how they make decisions is really critical to the businesses who are trying to service them. What do you think would be your one pivotal moment across your career um, that has led you to the biggest opportunity? There's probably be a few pivotal moments, but I, I don't know that one particularly stands out more than the others um, because I'm an opportunist there's no grand plan <laughs> um, so so the first one I mentioned was um, when I was working in a retail branch that got robbed because that you know that made me decide actually I don't want to be across the counter from the general public and that led me to go down the the sort of the analytical and the relationship management route with farmers and agricultural businesses so I'd say that was pivotal um, deciding to come back to New Zealand into a newly created role, that probably certainly provided the greatest opportunity because it was a blank canvas um, and I could shape that within reason how I wanted to shape it. So in terms of the biggest opportunity, um, but then the bank giving me the opportunity to move into people leadership in such a big way was a risk for them. Um, but but moving into the commercial side of the business was certainly one that provided the biggest step probably in my career. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. It's funny how some of those seemingly small moments can actually really change the face of a career or where you decide to go. I find that really interesting. Um, pivoting slightly, I understand that you've had several governance-based roles, so one of them, PAMU, Landcorp, in the past, and I'm really interested in this pathway into governance because obviously people refer back to commercial experience. They look at um, pros and cons of different people, but also we know that women are still a little bit underrepresented in some of those bigger governance roles. And I'm really interested in your journey as in terms of how you got into those positions um, and just a little bit of the, um, yeah, just a bit of the journey really. So initially, um, I first became involved with um, the uh, catchment groups, the zone committees within Canterbury from a um, land and water use perspective. And, and that was as a community representative, um, which was of an area that I lived in that was of interest and um, felt that it would give me a different perspective than the purely commercial um career I'd had up until that point. And, and it certainly did. It opened my eyes to um, particularly local government, regional government, um, the various hardworking people that are part of those types of organisations that are often, um, if they're remunerated at all, <laughs> it's typically, um, you know, they don't they don't do it necessarily for the, um, the accolades and, and remuneration that comes. Um, so that gave me a bit of a taste for it. Um, but I also then found that from a career development point of view, I was thinking about what would I do next? Um, and that was before I, I took on the general management role. 
Um, and that was when I, I started looking at different boards and where I thought I could add value. And certainly the opportunity was Palmo and Landcorp came came up. And that um, that was something that other people and part of my networks had said to me, you know, everyone's got an opinion on Palmo, and that's partly what makes the organisation so great. Um, but it's also what makes it very challenging um, because it's very easy to have an opinion from the outside looking in. <laughs> um, but that was what encouraged me to first have a look and, and consider could I add value to that board. And and it was, um, it, it is a great organisation. I enjoyed it a lot and, and had the opportunity, but it's not, it's not typical because the Crown appointments process um, and and the process of being appointed is very different to you know an elected position, for example, either publicly listed or or through cooperatives, um, and and very different to the appointed process for you know independent directors onto onto boards. So um, so from that point of view, I guess learning the distinction between those and actually the the pros and cons of each, but also therefore the, the requirements to um, to be in a position to be. Um, part of those boards are, are all differences that need to be taken into account. So that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned through that um, that experience. Yeah. I'm also interested in this idea of establishing your value proposition when you're looking at a governance journey and building skills and um, becoming attractive, I suppose, to um, being able to be appointed on a board. And I'm just wondering if you have any way in which you elevator pitch yourself or how, how do you go you know what this is my value this is going to add and you know get me on here <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I wouldn't say I'm very good at that <laughs> it, I think what happens as you gain um, experience and particularly in different roles is I think you develop clarity around um, it is where you add value but it's also what um, what trade-offs you're willing to make as well. Um, and I think there's also an element of particularly people who've come, and I put, I'm talking from my own um, perspective, people who've come through management careers and particularly into executive careers, you do end up becoming somewhat of a generalist in some respects, depending on the roles, but particularly in general management. Um, and therefore actually realising that from a governance perspective, um, being a generalist may not be that helpful because you want the board to actually provide everyone wants everyone needs to be able to provide a different perspective and an area of speciality or several areas of speciality so actually not being afraid to hone in on say well yes i'm a specialist in that but actually i have very limited knowledge of this um, is actually not a weakness depending on the skill set that that particular organisation might be looking for. Um, and I think it takes a while to sort of get to that point of not of realising you don't have to wear all the hats yourself. <laughs> um. Yeah, true. And that's quite a mindset shift, isn't it? Um, particularly when you're called upon to do that in your your day-to-day -day role. <laughs> um, thinking and switching gears slightly, one of the things I've most admired about you um being one of the leading women that has shaped or helped to shape my career is the fact that you have been working in a very male-dominated environment and quite often you've been the only female at that top level um, in whatever shape or form that might look like. How have you, how have you dealt with this um, in terms of some of the challenging aspects 
And what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out and might find themselves in that position? Yeah, you're making me feel old now, Emma, but um, it, <laughs> it, it did, ch- I, I don't know when it changed and it's changed quite significantly. And I think one of the mindsets I adopted early on um, was actually it helped to stand out um, because people remembered who I was. Oh, yeah, there was a blonde woman there. Um, and and it's like, okay, so maybe I can help this to my advantage because at least people remember um, that I was at some conference or that I was, was somewhere. Um, but that was after quite a period of actually just um, blending in because you, you had to sort of fit in with the, um, the men effectively and there were so, so few women. Um, and that, that's changed significantly, which is fantastic. So now I look at it and think, well, actually, there's – there, is, there are now so many great women um, in the industry, and that's fantastic to see. And I then think, well, how would I try and make my presence felt now um, if I was a young woman coming in into agribusiness? And, and in some respects, it's the network's wider, so that's great. But then the ability to stand out is probably more challenging or, or to actually find the right connections for whatever it is um, you know, someone is trying to achieve. And and from that point of view, I think there is still that ongoing challenge for all of us, doesn't matter whether it's men or women, is, is trying to figure out how do you add value and where can you add value and how do you make those connections? And that really comes down to the networks. Um, and, and therefore, I think ensuring that the networks are broad-based is still really important um, because I think there could be a danger of just focusing in one area and you still find you're missing out on this whole other piece over here that's actually where the action is. Um, so finding a way to blend those networks um, is is really the challenge, I think, now if I was, um, you know, if it was 20 or 30 years ago and trying to figure out how to do that, achieving the blend would be what I would recommend to people. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially I think as people are moving around a lot more in their career as well, and potentially they might be only in one role for a couple of years and then they're looking for the next opportunity. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm interested in how you um, deal with challenge. So not just in the environment we've been speaking about with being in a male-dominated space, but also in what do you do when stuff goes wrong? What what techniques do you have? Uh, your LinkedIn profile, I loved, you said, I'm known for remaining calm under pressure. And I thought, yeah, that's good. I want to hear about what techniques you've got to do that. Um, I I don't know that it's a technique, um, but it I tend to actually not exactly slow down, but become very deliberate and very focused. Um, and I've only known that through being in those situations and then people either reflecting that back to me. Um, and so I've been fortunate enough, some people have done that very directly to me so that I, I know now that is actually what happens. Um, and I've, so I've become better at recognising that that's what I do. Um, become very deliberate, very focused um, on particularly the, the important things, because it's usually when you're in that crisis situation that, um, you know, you can just end up sort of spinning out at the sheer volume and breadth of things that are coming flying at you Um, and being able to shut out the ones that actually aren't going to matter or that are actually not as important as some other people might think they are 
um, is actually really critical in those times. So I know that that is a, um, a behaviour that that somehow is is how I operate. <laughs> but I wouldn't say it's a technique, um, <laughs> but it, it'd be difficult to do that um, because it it's um, in some cases it's almost a singular focus. But you can only do that for a limited period of time. So then recognising when you actually need to um, switch from that, you know, come back up for air, start looking at the bigger picture again, is um, is the other key element of being able to shift that. Um, and in some cases, particularly through the, the early onsets of COVID, um, in some cases that all happened with the space of a couple of hours. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you'd be um, the next thing that needed dealing with. So I think it taught us all how to do that a bit better. Mm. God, that was a hectic time, wasn't it? Now we think about COVID. <laughs> um, and certainly your ability to deal with some of those more challenging moments has stuck out in, in my mind, um, having had the pleasure of working with you as well. Um, and it's given me something to aspire to when, you know, everything's happening at once. Uh, like today, when we're talking and the, the GDT has dropped quite significantly. And I've just got a message here saying that News Hub wants to do an interview. So <laughs> I'm channeling my inner Haley right now. Um, in terms of, I guess, the way forward for agriculture, um, I've always valued and admired your opinions on where you think things are going. And I guess the reflection just a reflection on how um, agriculture broadly has shifted and uh, in, in the time that you've been working in this space. But where do you think we're going as a broad industry? Mm, um, I think from a particularly from a New Zealand perspective, the foundations to me actually haven't changed a lot. What tends to distract us as an industry, particularly in New Zealand, are, are the trends that come and go and trying to figure out which ones of those are lasting, which ones do we actually need to take seriously, and which ones do we just need to manage through. Um, I think that's been particularly challenging because the speed of information is just incredible. Um, the amount of information coming at people it just gets more and more and more all the time. So therefore, trying to see through all that to actually make good decisions, if anything's become harder, and it shouldn't, it should have become easier because we've got better information um, and more of it but it just clouds the judgment um, and sometimes distilling it down to those to me those basic fundamentals that I still think provide us a great foundation for the future is what we need to remember and the thing that sticks out in my mind recently because I'm you know I've been out of that that analytical space now for quite a long time is to see what's happened around um, you know alternative proteins for example and 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 the fact that you know they they were going to be the future you know it was going to be the ruin of farming it was you know they were going to take all this market share and look maybe they still will um, and they've certainly taken some market share um, but actually many of those um, alternatives are now struggling to find the space as people have reverted back to basics um, you know nutrition and the wholesomeness of naturally produced products is. Um, is still actually what people want. So it's just one example of, you know, things that come and go a little bit. Um, we should still take um, good notice and think long and hard about the implications for those things, but um, shouldn't automatically assume that it spells a negative outcome. That's very interesting. I think there's been a few times in farming's history in this country where people said, oh, it's a sunset industry now. Um, and I don't think that that's really the case. <laughs> Probably as a last question from us, um, and without being 
too direct or upfront, but I'm just interested in what might be next for you. So where you strike me as someone who's quite um, dedicated to learning and growing and taking new opportunities. So I'm kind of interested in what the next step in that space might look like for you. Mm, so am I. <laughs> um, I've never had the grand plan, so and I still don't. Um, so my answer to that question is I don't know. Um, and and it, it is interesting because I it, I think like um, many people and and organisations you the more you learn the less you know and all I see is is that there's still plenty of opportunity. Um, I'm not worried about not being busy. In fact, I'm more worried about the opposite and still haven't found enough time to ride my horse. Um, so, so that's about all I've got for you, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I, I actually don't know. Um, and I'm assuming that it, at some point an opportunity will come along that I think, um, you know, it looks really interesting. Um, and whether that's in conjunction with what I'm already doing or whether it's something different. Um, yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, nice. It's a nice reminder as well. Like not everything has to be really planned out um, or set. There are different ways to achieving success, whatever that looks like. And for some people, yeah, it can just be going with the flow until the appropriate opportunity presents itself. So, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Hayley. Um, I love chatting with you. And as always, you haven't uh, failed to deliver some good gems. Um, so really thank you for your time and um, looking forward to whatever that next opportunity might be and where you might go to next. Uh, and thank you for being such a trailblazing person uh, within our industry and um, yeah, still being a bit of a mentor for me as well. <laughs> My pleasure. You're very generous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it. That's the podcast. That's us for today. We hope you enjoy the yarns and please do let us know if you have any comments or questions. We would love to hear from you. Look, it really does make all the difference. Please hit the button to follow us, like the podcast, click on the button to join as a member of Rural Women New Zealand. We promise you you'll have some fun.